years after Day for Night established the hip's art band aesthetic, Gord is of a ponderous mind, seeing the world from over the top. Our co-host Brad is in Canada, and in this very room in fact, and there's trouble at the hen house. This is Cast of the Unplucked Gems. Once again, the album cover is a work of art, uh, a trend that stays with the band uh, until the We Are The Same cover, which depicts the band back turned around a campfire. This cover is a photograph by Avery Krauts. The photo is also called Trouble at the Hen House, and I'd be interested to know whether the title first existed for the photo or for the record. My guess is that the album was probably named for the photo. Um, maybe somebody can get back to us with that, I, I'm not sure. Um, I, I guess I've got to open up with, with some criticism, I suppose. Uh, some of the tracks uh, in, the, in the middle of this album have a similar sound to each other. And to be honest, I always kind of look at this album as something as a, of a forgotten hip album, almost overshadowed by its masterful single, Ahead by a Century. Uh, a significant portion of the album fits the category of B-side and somewhat forgettable in my opinion. The album block, Flamenco, 700 Foot Ceiling, Butts Wiggling, Apartment Song, Coconut Cream, and Let's Stay Engaged are not likely to be anyone's favorite hip song. This stretch of six tracks, half the album, mostly finds the band in a mellowed mood, and the album as a whole is without any screaming or moments of high register urgency from Downey. The arrangements are simple, and the band is not nearly as stimulating as in previous work. All that said, it is extremely pleasant listening, uh, the band is locked into this kickback posture, and I don't find myself clamoring to skip tracks. I do, however, think that this is as close as we've seen to filler tracks in the band's career thus far. I appreciate that this album is still well inside the band's golden age, and I enjoy it thoroughly, but I really never find myself reaching for this record. Uh, what, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Obviously, that's not the most positive intro. Uh, I think that there are some really redeeming qualities about the, uh, about the album. Uh, Gord's vocal style, I mentioned that he doesn't get very frenetic, um, but he's very, very consistent and measured in this album. I think that um, this would be something that would be really uh, a good choice to show somebody as an introduction to the group. Um, there's not a lot of risks and there's not a lot of chance taking. They have their power single uh, Ahead by a Century on it, which pe you know, people are going to be familiar with, uh, especially if they're from here. And I don't know, it's, it feels like a really, really safe uh, album. Do you guys feel the same way about it? Um, well, Steve, do you want to go first? I'll just say happy to be here with you guys in the same room. And I do have some thoughts, but Steve, I'll let you go. We're, we're thrilled to have you, Brad. Uh, and that's a, that's a fine introduction, John. I perhaps don't take issue with the notion that there are filler tracks on it. I think this album aims at, at some things that perhaps aren't completely fulfilled at the end of the day. Um, I think the long list of songs that you listed as being maybe subdued, I think there's some great tracks in there. Mm -hmm. um, Songs like Butts Wigglin' and um, Coconut Cream, you know, they, they're sort of incomplete ideas to me, I guess. Uh, um, although humorous and kind of out there. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I, I, those aren't ones that I, you know, I, I found myself skipping those, those songs. Uh, 
on occasion uh, when I put this album in. Um, it's not their best album, but I think there's a lot of really good, uh, lots of good work happening here. I think, like when I listen to this album, I think it's aiming at being kind of trans transcendent in a way, like you're mentioning their look over the top. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is kind of a maturation of Gord Downey. I don't think his lyrics or the music is transcendent. I think that he's, like as a person, he's reaching sort of a maturity mm -hmm. and it's reflective of that. And it's a little bit more calmer. Mm -hmm. um, also, like you're mentioning, uh, to borrow a word from uh, the track Sherpa, it's like a little bit languid. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also like that it it's kind of has this wisdom angle to it as well right sure um, so I think there's tons of great tracks on this album I think it's for sure a part of their it, it's can be included for sure in, in kind of their their glory years or, or their peak um, the other thing is I, I think that everybody knows the live album that uh, came from the tour for this album, which is uh, Live Between Us. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's recommended listening for sure. I think that when you listen to that, you know that Gord and the band are, are uh, at the peak of their live show. Like, there's no doubt that they're... they're uh, They've mastered it, it just gets better from there. Do you think, sure. do you think the subdued tone is an effort to add songs uh, that contrast a lot of the songs that they've been playing in their set that have a lot of emotion tied to them or have a lot of... Because, you know, when you're writing a set list, a lot of the times you don't want to give... You don't want to be like ACDC where you give everybody the same... You know, the same or you do on being like ACDC because yeah. that clearly works. Let <laughs> me let me give my thoughts because I think it's I you know I'll try to avoid repeating a lot of what has been said, but I agree with a lot of it. it is laid back. Um, the wisdom that you uh, mentioned, Steve, I think in the lyrics and like Gord being like a, at a point where he's sort of reflective and looking at some you know life and some ideas that kind of shines out to me in a lot of the in a lot of the songs I, I felt like there was a bit of a theme there maybe I'm just projecting that or reaching for it mm -hmm. um, but I also think I you know I had words written down here like and this sounds really cheesy and maybe it's not the best word but ethereal some of the grooves that you get in this album are you know like you mentioned grown and laid back but kind of spacey mm -hmm. and the thing that jumped out to me is that you mentioned it as well John uh, some of the tracks sound the same, mm -hmm. right? And and one of the things that like picked up on for me is that a lot of the tracks seem to have a very bass heavy groove for the verse, and then they bump it up in, in you know volume intensity with the guitars coming in for the chorus. And there's a number of tracks that are like that, like Springtime in Vienna, Gift Shop, even Don't mm -hmm. Wake Daddy, Apartment Song. Um, there's probably a few others. So I was listening to this thinking like. Well, what is the songwriting, you know, method going on? And maybe it's a new songwriting method. Did these bass lines come first, mm -hmm. and then they build off of that? Because a lot of those tracks that I just mentioned, those ones that I just mentioned, I really feel like the bass groove is the prominent thing in the song, and the guitars do their sort of weaving over top of that. And then I would say that I think the drums need to be mentioned in this, sure. because while not flashy, they're very consistent and played with conviction so these simple beats because they're so on point with the bass 
they provide such a steady platform. And so I don't know, maybe it was an experimental thing. Maybe they, maybe, you know, they just decided to write from the base out or I don't, you know, who knows. Yeah. But. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe it's a, it's just a matter of, um, the way that they would go about recording, right? And you're trying to work on deficiencies and weaknesses, you know? That that definitely could be it. I just know that, you know, for some of these songs, I, I, I feel like there is a dry spot on this album. And a lot of those songs, when you're writing lyrics and, and things like that, you've, you've got these ideas kicking around in a notebook, and sometimes you sort of force the puzzle pieces together. And, you know, an example, I guess, would be like, apartment song you know um that i don't know the the tempo kind of plods and the concept of your possessions coming to life with your back turn seems almost like a writing exercise yeah like i mean that's like uh, indian in the cupboard or yeah maybe but like, maybe it could be it could be too like i don't you know maybe we don't know i mean we could probably figure this out by digging into hip forums and writings or whatever but maybe it's this is the album where hey we need to put out another album we have a contract or whatever, so we have a bunch of unfinished things that we're working with or something like this, and so this is that album. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, actually, I think if I can just jump in there, I think it's actually just from doing some reading on it. I think it's kind of the opposite. I think this was nope. like their, this was their... Um, Gonna have to disagree with you there, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to disagree with you. I think this was their kind of, uh, like, reclusive kind of album where they got away from everything. They went back to the Canadian woods I believe it was recorded at the bathhouse yeah. uh, studio in, you know, Ontario, north of Toronto. Um, but if I could actually just, I, Go ahead. you said something that made me think of a passage from this, uh, the Have Not Been the Same book, the Barclay, Michael Barclay book, Ian Jack, Jason Schneider, about the working new, new material in it and uh, kind of breaking up a, a live set. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is a quote from Gord. Um, that was taken from an interview of, that surrounded this album, uh, so back in 96. Uh, and he's talking about, in this case, the crowd interaction or the crowd, uh, how the crowds act in his shows. He says, uh, it's overwhelming to certain people, Downey states bluntly. I want to say that I have a disdain for ceremony but I think I just naturally take my Nana's approach. She said, I wouldn't go to the lobby of my building to see Frank Sinatra. It was hard to thrill her. So I probably thought, these people are really fucking up my timing here. It also really started to push my pitch around, and that was probably the point where I decided there's room for only one demagogue tonight, and it's me. I'll go after anyone else that tries to take any portion of my space. So he's talking about people singing along, I don't know, who knows, maybe this was now in an effort to, to kind of curb that. And we all know sure. that the evolution of the live show, Gord starts singing his songs much differently in timing and... Uh, and timing pitch. and lyrics and everything. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So yeah. who knows, maybe there's something to that. Maybe he's they're making an album for just because their sound is becoming too recognizable. Yeah. Because the the party nature of the of their sets is becoming, sure. I guess, slightly uncomfortable for, mm -hmm. for them. Well, you said uh, overwhelming. Yeah. But so anyway, I thought I found that super interesting. God, I, I, that one. I got it. I, before we move on from that, man, do I ever hate that? I, I just, <laughs> I, I hate that so much. I hate it really thoroughly. 
Um, you know the um, what the the like the combative stance with the audience there or yeah just the whole trope of you know me fans of stupid pigs <laughs> you know and i know that's not exactly what's being said here but you know he's he, he's he's sort of saying you know i'm the singer you're the crowd i mean look at this is a great great privilege to be able to entertain people on that level um but you I, also can't let the inmates run the jail you know yeah but okay okay well here's an example like have you guys ever seen the queen live at wembley mm -hmm. it's just an oh, yeah. incredible yeah. great uh, show amazing amazing concert have you seen when they let the crowd clap along to the beat yeah. it's a disaster yeah <laughs> it's like british clapping they can't keep a beat it's a joke like it's it's really it's really funny like it's really really funny yeah. but what is what is he supposed to do stop the show and teach everybody how to clap yeah for Move sure on with your life you, this is a celebration for most people, this is the reason why they're here. Um, you know, it's also your job. You're doing it day in, day out. You want to? It's not for me. It's not so much like it's your job, and there are people that would love to have your job and things like that. I just think that those answers and those quotes are given in in as a real response to a real question um, in a in a moment of of, of honesty, and. That's you, why I love them. You would probably look back on those and be like, boy, that doesn't cast me in a very great light. But I'm sure. sure. I'm sure. It seems out of character for the Gord that we knew kind of uh, in most recent times. But, you know, he's always, he, he has had a relationship with the audience at times. I, I know that he's, you know. Combative? and Not combative during the show, but I think that he, he, uh resented the, had a little bit of derision for the, you know, I am Canadian drinking uh, crowd, you know, and, and just the kind of, uh, you know, frat boy type element. Yeah, you know, good old boy kind of thing. Sure. And I'm sure they got some, thing. I think this comes too, and let's, you know, I think this is important to put this quote into context. They're coming off of Day for Night, and now this album, and they, I do, if I remember correctly, when this album came out, there wasn't, you know, it wasn't critically accla acclaimed, you know, it was deemed this, okay, what are the hip doing? And I'm sure they had a lot of people writing and a lot of fans saying, go back to Road Apples, right, give us yeah. the rockin', you know. Right. Cause, Day cause, for Night was enough of this experimental we, stuff, let's we go think, back. we think of the pressure as like drunk guy X at show Y shoots mm -hmm. this thing. Mm -hmm. But it's probably in print and, and, and a lot more. Yeah, or on yeah. The internet was around in 96, right? So, mm -hmm, sure. you know, maybe they were... I don't know if internet... It's on, on my Angel Fire page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. But you know what I mean? So I think I think there could be some of that. And maybe that is also why we see this album and look at it as, you know, as like, whoa, this is different. Maybe yeah, it's, maybe, maybe, maybe it's, it's a pushback. pushback. Yeah, yeah. yeah Which sure. makes sense. And a chance to just be like, hey, look, it, we're doing this. This is where we're at. Well, Steve, Enjoy it Steve, or not. you're right. I mean, you, you know, they recorded with this Mark Vreekin guy again, who's a roadie that they promoted to being their producer which mm -hmm. is not the evolution of working in rock music just by the way that's a very non-traditional path and they brought in the guitar player from the odds because they liked him because they they toured with the odds oh okay and i didn't know probably that. were of a like mind so that was the production team they didn't really have anybody else like i think it's still mca at this time and then they start they start recording with universal yeah um but I don't think there was a whole lot of oversight at all either. I think it was just try it until it doesn't work. Um, so, yeah, I mean, with, with, with all those things being said, I really don't, 
feel good about kind of crapping all over it for for an intro, but. Uh, I, but I, you I, did it, and now here we are. Yeah, well, we, we, had some, we had some good discourse, but uh, maybe it's maybe it's time to get into the uh, into the yeah. So a lot of good tracks on this album. There is that's true. that's true. And I'll say you know a couple of songs that I think could be you know my favorite hip songs. That's not, true. That's so. that's absolutely true. All right, John. Well, you're up. Gift shop. The beautiful lull. The dangerous tug. We get to feel small from high up above. A really spaced out effect in the intro of this song, and it reinforces what Gord refers to as the beautiful lull. The lull being the quiet and calm that often comes with beholding intense scenic wonder. Uh, so great that the band is able to convey this feeling of awe in the album's intro from the very outset. It's a great first impression to the record, and we listeners get our first glimpse over the top. This is a, a really, really cool way to start a record. It's a really, really cool way to start a show. They use it in to do that in uh, in lots and lots of times. Even you know times where I've been privileged to go and see them. Uh, the lyric we get to feel small, but not out of place at all. There's a kind of freedom in recognizing the scale of your existence. That macro lens makes a person feel that the sheer scope of creation guarantees purpose for each being, even yourself. Gord really belittles the created world of man, calling it a, a gift shop. Uh, we're forced to bed, but we're free to dream, all us human extras, all us herded beings. There's an acknowledgement of our lack of importance, forced to bed, and an appreciation of what limited control we are afforded, free to dream. Uh, this parental relationship with God is also further explored in Don't Wake Daddy and also in Coconut Cream later on in the, in the album. So great that he's able to take these really gigantic ideas and sprinkle them sort of throughout an album. It's something that I never realized was happening album to album until we started doing this dissective, you know, uh, project here. Um, but it seems like there's some of these little things that nag at him um, that he explores uh, album to album. Um, before a live rendition of the song, uh, Downey says, some kids in grade six wrote the hip a letter asking us what Daredevil was about. The whole class, this is called gift shop. This is sort of what we wrote them back. Because you can't neglect a great sixer. If you do, you ain't worth shit. Um, so Daredevil is a song that takes place at Niagara Falls. Uh, but in Gift Shop, the Grand Canyon plays the same role. Um, being both ma a massive and powerful work of nature and a center for a hive of millions of tourists. These two concepts could not be on more opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to authentic experience. Yet they undeniably live atop one another at these places. Just as the profound and the trivial exist inside single moments of our lives. Um, it's a really, really hard thing to put into words. Uh, it took, that's why it takes me, you know, <laughs> this huge long diatribe. But that is good poetry, putting gigantic um, tr truths and, uh, and concepts into, uh, into neat little packages. And man, oh man, uh, this is another masterwork from Gord. I know I slagged the album from the outset a little bit but this is a really this is a standout track it's a top 10 hip song in in my opinion um it's uh it's really cool that you know the, the some of the specific turns of phrase he uses like he goes um 
the pendulum swings uh, for a horse like a for a horse like a man uh, out over the rim is like ice cream to to him, mm-hmm. uh, and he just means that it's like candy for the horse as well that that does these horse tours up and down the switchback stuff to go down into the Grand Canyon, right, you know, right, right. and it's like. I, I really like that line too because it's like even the animals are drawn to this place, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think it sort of reinforces that uh, the magic is in the place and not that anybody found it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, it's yeah, a really really great song. Can't can't say enough about it and uh, a fantastic opener. Yeah, I you know that's what I had written down just in my brief notes on it. You know. It continues the string of great opening, opening you know riffs, songs, whatever you know. You have blow it high dough. You have little bones. You have uh, I can't remember fully completely right now. But then you have Grace Two on Day for Night, and then you have this. Like they just they it's a great way to open the album, and they have a knack for doing that. I think, and so this song had to be there when the beat finally when it finally comes in, and the whole thing just starts swinging. It's great. That's the viol- that's the vocal cue, the pendulum swing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boom, the band yeah, yeah. comes in. It's fantastic. And just the rhythm of the song too. It kind of has this back and forth kind of you know sure, yeah. lulling to it. Um, I yeah, I think I have had the same feelings about what it was about uh, that you did. I like the idea that there's this changing of your perspective, mm-hmm. you know, and you get to feel small, you know, but yeah. not out of place at all. So I look at it as I had it as you know the same kind of thing is that if you accept the sort of insignificance mm-hmm. of your place in the mm-hmm. grand scheme of the world, then you're free. I just kind of took it as like a positive thing. It's like once you get the glimpse and you get to feel small, then the world's your gift shop. Then you can enjoy everything because you don't stress about what it is that I need to be and what I need to be in this world. It's like, no, you're just one of the human extras. You're just mm-hmm. one of the herded beings and taking some kind of comfort in that. So I took it as sort of a positive thing, sure. but similar thing. And I just like the idea that it's like the message to me was kind of just like change your perspective and then the world's your gift shop, you know, yeah. then you get all the things you want. And maybe you could apply like the gift shop. There's usually cheap trinkets and stuff in there. But I, I don't know. I just came away with it from a positive with a positive thing. Right. And I think part of that is because of the great um the the beat you know the the sing-songy nature of this it you know big sweeping yeah, chords and the backup vocals and the backup it feels like yeah. an empowering song yes, you feel yeah. like you should walk away from that song with a spring in your step for yeah sure yeah so i i naturally my take on it is look at the rest of the world as a, a bunch of crap right? yeah you know, i don't know why i jumped to that conclusion <laughs> I, I i think the positive That's why we're different yeah i suppose <laughs> i suppose uh, yeah, I have the same kind of notion with the, the meaning of gift shop as you did, Brad. Um, the the um, it seems kind of like I I hesitate to categorize, but it seems kind of has like a Buddhist flair to it, where it's like the religion or God as we know it in Western religions, kind of kind of like a dualistic thing and, and you mentioned that John and our relationship with God in, in that sense whereas the, the Buddhist sense is more kind of um, you know God is within everyone and there's mm-hmm. no external God it is in fact inside of you and then the other notion the other kind of axiom of that is that there is no self and that you are um, the smaller you make yourself the more kind of you will experience that feeling um, 
it's it's kind of just a, a little bit of a, an illumination to me is is what's kind of going on from Gord. There's tons of platitudes when it comes to that kind of talk, but um, you know they're necessary kind of platitudes. Like it's hard to to not kind of gush and say, oh, everything's a gift shop when you when you have those feelings of illumination. Um, but yeah, I think this, the, the message is, is powerful from, from that sense. I love the, the music video as well, how it does, um, it sh like you're talking about shifting perspectives, but when the, when the band comes in, the pendulum swings, they, their wardrobe switches, it goes from, uh, white to black, I believe, mm -hmm. yeah. or the other way around, but I'm sure, I think it's white yeah. to black. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a super cool opener. I mean, it just sets the the scene perfectly for what the song goes on to talk about. Um, so yeah, I love to, this to, song. To me, I love I, it. to me, I just can't get away from the idea that um, the, the purpose of the song is that when we're afforded an opportunity to create for ourselves, our creation is so cheap by comparison. Uh, to what we're surrounded with. Like the awe of nature. And the, yeah, yeah, that some, sometimes, you know, to feel something uh, like a love outside of yourself, sometimes you need to see something that is uh, really, really uh, powerful yeah. right? in, in a sensory way. And, yeah. and, and like... Uh, the humbling aspect of nature, though, too, right? Yeah. Like you get to feel small. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, like, I think he's calling... He's using this as an opportunity to call all the things around him cheap, even the people. Like in some of the in some of the alternate lyrics, uh, so I I had said out over the rim is ice cream to him is the mm -hmm. actual line, and but I've heard alternate lyrics where he says leaning over the rails with our ice creamy hands. <laughs> so I mean, like he's talking about chintzy touristy people but the other thing too is i think a lot of the time um he takes advantage of the opportunity to say something different than he originally intended when performing it live mm -hmm. and and so maybe that's him just capitalizing on an opportunity but certainly uh a, a song with a lot to chew on and, and a really really ambitious song too so yeah for sure ahead by a century this song centers around the concept of maturity. When the song is thought of in reference to Downey, it draws an ahead of their time sort of interpretation. Like we would regard great minds as ahead of their time. Here we are, however, um, here, sorry, sorry, here, however, he seems to be using the phrase ahead by a century as a way to admit an immaturity when comparing himself to his female counterpart. The protagonist is very deliberately portrayed as an innocent. The song begins with a recollection of the importance of youth and holds an air of referential wisdom that comes with age. He details the experience of being overmatched by his childhood love interest and cops to the fact that he's being outpaced by her. Now, this is a song that's short on lyrics and big on nuance, so if we're going to try to unpack it all, it might be helpful to look at another one of Gord's live introductions, or maybe a couple. Uh, he says, this is a song that sort of explores the realm of catharsis, and my arse is capable of more flush. Adolescence, in essence, is all about trust. From the, the Live Between Us recording previously yeah. mentioned. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. And, and I mean, some of these, some of these other ones, uh, 
these other intros are taken from Live from the Vault, which is just a godsend. I mean, mm. if, you, if you haven't heard that, that series, that bootleg series, it's amazing that that exists. Um, so I'm just going to go, I'm going to break it right down. Catharsis is defined as the process of releasing and thereby providing relief from strong or repressed emotions. There's also another word here, a medical term, cathartic. Uh, a cathartic is a substance that accelerates defecation. This is different from a laxative. A laxative is a substance that eases defecation. A cathartic accelerates defecation. <laughs> Rapid fire. So, so th this is primarily just good old-fashioned wordplay from Gord. However, it does fit perfectly with my conception of the song. I see it as a recollection of sexual immaturity and a traumatic physical incident. How they relate to one another and how they have affected our narrator years later. My arse is capable of more flush. <laughs> uh, this trauma has left him with still more yet to purify, purge, and, and yes, flush. Uh, great wordplay from Gord. Adolescence, in essence, is all about trust. Braving the unknown and unfamiliar is daunting, and early sexual encounters are a moment of severe vulnerability. Uh, here's another one of Gord's introductions. They're all for the girls, but this one is for the girls. Because you're so good. I've, I've heard him use the first part of this intro many times, and even when I've seen it performed live. It's a witty twist on a cliched nightclub type phrase. Um, but I was able to hear a version from the Live from the Vault Volume 2, um, where he adds, because you're so good, and I was struck by the earnest tone. You can tell he has an incredible reverence uh, for women on the whole. And throughout countless live appearances and throughout a deep catalog, he frequently takes up the cause for women. We can have a discussion about Gord Downey championing social issues at another time, but if I'm honest, advocacy in art is, is never really my favorite thing. Um, later in the song, he details a cathartic experience. That's when the hornet stung me and I had a serious dream with revenge and doubt. Tonight we smoke them out. We know that something went wrong in the past and caused a great deal of trauma. Now, whether or not that's literally an allergic reaction to a bee sting or not is somewhat irrelevant in my mind. By exposing that part of his past, our narrator is attempting to move past any lingering fear of intimacy. Or maybe I'm reading too deep into this and the meaning of the song is as simple as bee stings boy's genitals, boy retains virginity. <laughs> <laughs> Headline, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I do want to mention, uh, before we move on, some of the uh, beautiful phrasing he uses. Illusions of someday cast in a golden light, no dress rehearsal, this is our life. This is a gorgeous standalone poetic phrase. It instantly and strongly evokes the hope and pressure of being in the starting blocks of life. And I think that listeners who don't delve into the depths of catharsis and intimacy issues can easily recognize and appreciate this line all the same. Um, a couple things to mention about the music, uh, the music itself. Um, they use a drum machine live. Really? I friggin' know it. <laughs> I friggin' know they do. No, I, uh, I, I, you can hear it. They're, they use a drum machine uh, when they play it live, and the, actually, allegedly, the the, the progression. <laughs> we, the podcast cannot confirm this at this moment, but we'll speak your mind, John. And, speak and, your and, mind. And actually, the the progression of the way that you know, like it's just a, it's a drum but there, machine. there is there is 
you know, isn't there hand drums on this, this is one what as I was well? Say, so, the, yeah. the, the dynamic of like progression of just the drums themselves mm -hmm. is really interesting. So they go drum machine, then hand percussion, then full kit. And the vocal cue for the drum kit entry is rain falls in real time. Again, it's a great way for the band to give further significance uh, to what Gord is saying to mm -hmm. some of these vocal cues. We talked about another one earlier, the pendulum swings. Right. It's like all of a sudden you feel like you're let go and you're finally into the song. Really cool that they're able to do a lot of this stuff. Um, this, is a, this is a landmark uh, single for them. This is probably their most important song, I would say, as, as, as far as the way that the world regards this band. Mm. Um, New Orleans is sinking probably has more Spotify, you know, plays, or maybe I'm, I'm yeah, I easily knows? check those numbers. Maybe right. I should have done that. But <laughs> I feel like critically, you know, people look at this song as a masterwork. Probably and the it, most recognizable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's very difficult to quantify that kind of thing. I mean, or I suppose we could with the Spotify numbers. So, but given that we didn't do that work, it's very difficult for us now here in the now to, Hey, this quantify. is what this podcast is all about. Speculate, speculate, yeah. speculate. Yeah. <laughs> this is no dress rehearsal, John. Yeah. We, needed right. those, we needed those fucking numbers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but was this not the last song that they played in the last Kingston show, the one that was broadcast? Didn't Is this how they ended the final show? The bring final on further speculation. speculation. Might be. Wiggles. Might be. Here. Might be. Anyway. Reaching the depths of our memories, I mean, that's going to be tough. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For some reason, I think it's blow a high dough, but... Oh, yeah, could be, could be. Anywho. I just, I, I feel like this is a song that uh, other songwriters point to and say, holy crap, like, this is a, this was an idea that was just out there, and, and there aren't really, there isn't really a huge depth of songs that are written about this. He found some fresh snow that is a commonality to all people. And, uh, you know, once again, big ideas in small packages. It's, um, there, there was something I was kind of debating whether or not I was going to talk about it or not. And um, here it comes. And here it comes. <laughs> here it comes. Um, the vulgar nature of the original lyrics to the first verse. So I, I have a book on, on Downey. That You've I, got a book too? I, I oh, haven't, man. yeah, I haven't been quoting it this whole time. You guys reading books. Well, no, I don't read books and that's the point. I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been trying, I've been trying really hard and very deliberately not to read this book that I got at Christmas, um, you know, from my in-laws. Great gift. Thank you so much, Gordon, Jill. Um, because I don't want, I don't want to sully my own, what I feel is my own perspective. Right, for this podcast. Yeah. Because otherwise I'm just going to become indoctrinated. Like Steve, he's just a robot. Yeah. Zombies. Oh he's my quoting all the Quoting all the time. Yeah, yeah exactly. Hot Citing take. his sources. Hot yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, but, but they do say that, that originally the lyrics were, I guess the purpose of this too is, to show to to juxtapose the innocence of the song with words that are just really inflammatory. So the the line I think is supposed to be first thing I first thing I touch your cunt and then you grab my cock. It's supposed Whoa. to be the first lines. Heavy working so, lyrics. So yeah, what we'd like you to do Sound is like an instructional manual. <laughs> what we, I've been doing it wrong. What, we, what we'd like you to say is what I want is I want to hug and kiss you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but yeah, he, they did a pretty good job of using <laughs> a, 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 of of kind of 
substituting in something uh, of substance. You know, first thing we climb a tree does really, it really makes it feel like we're dealing with two innocent people, but they don't know anything about sex. Yeah. And I mean, that is, that is what the song is about. And, and the chorus itself is, is, is all about how women seem to know a little more about this always mm. than, than their male counterparts. But I mean, I didn't really know if I should, if I should bring it up just because it's again, from a book. Again, you guys, and it's super vulgar. What? Well, no, the, no, the, but the but the point is, is uh, I I don't know if somebody said to him like you can't do that. Even like within the band, probably someone was like, look, we got a great single here. Yeah. And you're cunt cocking it all up, yeah. like you know, uh, because it's it's yeah, that's really strong. And, and you know, I also I only heard about that um, a few months ago, and. I don't know, it changes the way you think about the song, for sure. Hmm. But, I mean, it is on point with what the song is about. Sure. So. I, Steve, why don't you jump in there with some thoughts? I My thoughts have gone somewhere else. Uh, <laughs> okay, you want me no, to go for it? No, no, that's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, this is definitely a landmark song. I think you're right. I mean, I, you're giving me a lot of new perspective on the song that I had not thought of before or considered. Right. And so, for me now, I'm kind of seeing it as a... Uh, with virgin eyes. Uh, Fair enough. Pardon the kind of yeah. They're just hitting on the theme. Yeah, um, hitting on the theme. But uh, anyway, yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's. Uh, I guess I always, maybe it's my innocence reading this song as, as yes, there's the innocent. I had no idea it was, it was about sex. Mm -hmm. in this I sense. never thought, I thought of it, it was, in a sexual way either. I thought it was either. a love, a story of love reflecting on a past time like the first uh stanza the, um reflecting on like when we were young we yeah. had this innocence i kind of took your head by century to mean like paradoxically you were ahead when you were young oh. than where you are now in your mindset towards this relationship because you're looking at the casting the golden light you're looking to uh forward to a life of love together um and then you have to kind of revisit that and now the re relationship is somewhat shrouded and in, in doubt and and kind of pettiness or revenge and stuff like this mm -hmm. um and that going back and, and thinking about those earlier times or those those innocent times those were the those were the moments of kind of just unabashed optimism for the future Whereas now things have changed, but you have to kind of smoke out the doubt and that kind of stuff, smoke out the, you know, that type of stuff in the relationship through exposing it, which is also cathartic yep. in a different sense. Um, so yeah, I love the song. <clears throat> like it's, I love... I, it's I was, kind of tough to put your finger right on it, isn't mm -hmm. it? And, and, and I don't think it's left... I don't think he wrote it to be deliberately vague either. I there think, could have been a joke on with with that as well i'll leave it alone yeah oh okay oh i get it now first thing i okay yeah i got you first you climb a tree <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right okay all right i mean i always looked at this one as definitely a coming of age thing that's what it that's what it sounded to me you know like the lyrics and everything the lines that you've already mentioned and you know the ahead by a century i took it also to be that this counterpart I assume it's female, yep. is 
the wise beyond her years. It could just kind be like of thing. A, a declaration of love, or, or, or you know, yeah. yeah, yeah. Look, there's, there's a character that's wise beyond their years, sure. and then, but there's like this troublesome event that you require for the wisdom, you mm -hmm. know, and then that's the hornet stung me, and I had a feverish dream, or I had a serious dream, you know, and then it's like, so you need this cathartic event, mm -hmm. you know, or troublesome event to then gain that wisdom. And so I, you know, I didn't really go, I guess, as deep into either, you know, a sexual way or any other, but just that it's a coming of age thing. I think right. that's, mm -hmm. you know, on the surface, very much what it is. I will just say, what an inviting chord progression. Right. Mm. The way it starts, like, that just warms your heart. And I think that that kind of lends to this innocence of youth and optimism for the future, coming of age kind of thing. I think it's interesting that you point out, you know, because we have talked in previous episodes about his portrayal of women as strong characters that generally know more about what's going on. Well, he writes their perspective sometimes yeah. and does it very, very well. Yeah, or so the three, four men in the room think. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, so I, I don't have too much more to it other than what you guys kind of already said, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's it should be noted that uh, Gord comes into his own on the guitar on this song. Right, mm -hmm. yeah. That's new for the album, and I, I think it's most notable in this track. So, which is cool. I think he made an effort to, to really make that a part of his repertoire. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't go on to become, you know, Van Halen or anything like this. But, but he, he still, was, but he still found that melody. I yeah. mean, yeah. you know, it's interesting too how it, it doesn't always take the, you know, the most trained hand to pick to find these these melodies. That's mm -hmm. not what people respond to. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I just I'll just I, we're gonna move on. I'm gonna take the next song, I believe. Yeah. But um, with these two songs that you've already, that we've already covered, that John, you covered, and then as we go forward, I think it's interesting to just make a callback to something we said at the beginning of that, this wisdom, there's wisdom in this album, and Gord seems to have be coming from a place of, look at I found some wisdom and I'm imparting it. And we've already seen that in some of these first two tracks that yeah. we've just talked about. And I think we'll continue to see just that. Trying so. to, try to teach up the drunken swine that it yeah, did yeah, show. Yeah, just yell out at the concert. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, so we'll move on. The next track is, you know, I'm going to take is Don't Wake Daddy. So I think for me, this song is a, is a lot like Gift Shop. I'm seeing some parallels there. Um, but to me, Don't Wake Daddy, Daddy is the God image. That's how when I first listened to this and started dissecting it, that's what I thought. I thought it was going to be this dialogue with God. I come to think of it now more, and you know, we've you've mentioned it once already, Steve. Buddhism. You know, I kind of feel like there's more of this Zen thing to it, where it's like, it's not necessarily God is in the you know Christianic or Judaic God figure, but it's more like don't wake Daddy is don't disturb the balance, don't rock the boat, don't sin, you know, whatever it is, but like live a good life and then everything could be fine, you know? Because every verse is couched with, don't wake daddy, don't, that's the big thing. And then the rest of it just, again, kind of, I think has the same sense as gift shop for me, in that it's like, your place in the world is fine, accept it, just don't wake daddy, and you'll be fine. And it comes across to me as, when in the first verse, he puts a figure like Kurt Cobain, um, who's, you know, a legendary figure, as a, as a reincarnated dog 
Um, how does it go? Sled dogs after dinner close their eyes on the howling wastes. Kurt Cobain reincarnated, sighs and licks his face. Like to me, this whole like story of you know you take this big figure and put him in this in this you know reincarnated dog who doesn't really seem you know seems pretty content, sighs, licks his face. Then they drip, drift past strips of Serengeti and the gates of Sleepy Hollow too. It's like they're dreaming. They're just you know fine. It's kind of this ethereal whatever. They're having a dream. Yeah, I paused and wondered too. Just don't wake daddy. So the whole thing to me is just is follow that advice. Don't wake daddy and you will be fine. And then the next verse comes, you know, with this line about your kids. You can teach your children some fashion sense and they fashion some of their own. So it's again, to me, it's like a relinquishing of control. Like don't try to hang on to things too much. You know, just follow the golden rule. Don't wake daddy, but don't try and you know, these things are out of your control, stay the middle course, and you know, your life can be fine. This sort of, this Buddhist thing. So, and then again, in the third, third verse, I find another, you know, line that makes me think that so you can stuff your void with the asteroid that's hurtling toward the Earth. You know, it's like, you could, you could worry about this asteroid that's hurtling toward the Earth, or you can just, you know, live life and, you know, be content and find it. So I think it's interesting that this Buddhist idea came up earlier because that's really what I felt and that's what I had in my notes here is like, it's like I, again, I don't take it to be a negative thing. Like I don't take this to be like, don't wake daddy and like this is what you have to do and like the life doesn't matter, you know, because there's an asteroid hurtling toward the earth or whatever. You're just going to get reincarnated as a dog. I think it's a very positive thing. You know, I think the Kurt Cobain dog character is at peace and he was a character that wasn't in his life. So it's this, you know, I think again, take it as very positive. I think the baseline in this is very cool. Mm -hmm. It's one of those ones that's got this dreamy aspect. And then even when it does come in heavy with the chords on Don't Wake Daddy, it's not, it's heavy, but it's not up tempo. It still keeps, there's a lot of space and it's still very dreamy in there. And so that's, you know, my somewhat limited limited take on it, but uh, again, like I said, I just, I, I see the same wisdom, the same sort of um, idea poking through. Yeah, it's a little bit less uh, preachy and more kind of from a place of enlightenment. Uh, I think that's what he's getting, trying to get across anyway. Um, interestingly, uh, the Kurt Cobain line, I thought, when I first heard that line, I thought, like you did, that was kind of like a line of reverence Name drop. That's right, name drop. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Uh, you know, maybe if Courtney loves out there, she might be one of our listeners. She <laughs> might, you know, she might be able to you know, tweet at us and <laughs> give us uh, give us a follow or however it works. But um, <laughs> but uh, so that's where I thought the line was a little bit of a reverential line. You know, I they came up, Kurt and Gord, I'm giving them first name, just first name basis with both those guys. Uh, they came up at kind of the same time, and, and they probably would have, you know, brushed elbows here and there. You never know, right? Like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure that they it's possible, would yeah. have seen each other or something like no, this. No, they played a show together. I, I, no, I know I know they did. The okay, hip, the cool. Hip, the hip opened for Nirvana. Nice. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. I don't know the name of the... But it's a, you know, sort of a more backwater type gig. Sorry uh, if you live there. Courtney, 
but, um, but yeah, no, it, it's, yeah, that, no, that for sure happened. They did, um, I don't know, share a drink and play pool and uh -huh. stuff. Okay. Yeah. So that's, I, I, I know, uh, some of us are shunning source material, but, uh, um, well, you'd have to cite it. We'd be here all day. <laughs> yeah. I've got, a. <laughs> There is a uh, an interview that I saw with Gord. Uh, it's a what do they call them? Intimate? No, not intimate and interactive. The much music ones. Egos and icons is what it is. And right. he. Uh, oh, we're getting video sources now. Yeah, he um, he kind of sets this line up as a bit of a barb at Kurt Cobain. Uh oh. And I think it's pretty. John's going to get testy again. Yeah, and I mean, like, <laughs> I love showing this side of Gord. And here's the thing, right? Like, when we look at, when we see Gord, we've seen him in interviews, and we've mentioned this as well before on the podcast. What you see may not exactly be what you get. Like, that He's line, an entertainer. He's an entertainer, but he's also, he's it enigmatic and he's, he's, he's clearly also entertains himself that's right he's yeah. enjoying himself yeah. with and the interviewers at their expense yeah, yeah. and yeah. so you have to understand that about his persona and it's it's very enjoyable to me as sure. a fan i that entertains me as well so and it's the same with his song openings as well his live song openings his introductions how much you're going to read into it is it's up to you but i mean this is what he uh, this is what Gord had to say about that line. I'm just going to play it here. The Kurt Cobain line was meant to sort of um, place a, a sort of well-known character uh, in kind of very bleak landscape. And it sort of alludes to the, I think, the line uh, from Penny Royalty in which he talks about uh, a Leonard Cohen afterworld where he can sigh eternally. Well, in fact, you know, you can't actually predict what your afterworld will be if, in fact, there is one. So I just thought, well, perhaps the, as an ugly twist of fate, or maybe a humorous twist of fate, uh, Kurt Cobain would be, you know, um, uh, reincarnated as a sled dog. Initially, the line kind of uh, it was a barb, you know, when I was sort of thinking about it, I thought, I, I can't really do that because uh, everyone's ears will sort of prick up and go to that line and never leave it and never listen to the rest of the song. The rest of the song will be spent debating or wondering um, why Kurt Cobain and then what does this mean? And it's uh, maybe an exhausted subject, but maybe it's not even close to exhausted. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't think, you know, you need an anvil to fall on your head to realize uh, yeah. but, uh, what a, you know, one-way ticket heroin is. Yeah, well, hot take. Also, coming from a, time, from a time, too, probably, where he had seen a great guy go down to heroin and, you know, so maybe has a bitter taste in his mouth about the whole experience. Who but. knows if he's a fan? I'm, I'm not a fan of, of, of Kurt Cobain. I, I understand that Kurt he's Cobain a, the dog or the man? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I, I, I should say, too, though, that most people think that the reference is charming. That's, sure. what I I saw, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. That's I come in here and now I look like an idiot. Thanks, Steve. No, and that's your video what I thought. And my my the point of that was to back you up with my initial thoughts. And when I saw that, I was surprised to hear that this was like a, a eternal punishment. When you think about it, being a sled dog would suck. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Iditarod, but it doesn't look like a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah, the dogs seem to enjoy the it. The dogs enjoy it, but they get really tired. So. <laughs> yeah. We'll a... save it for the Iditapod. <laughs> oh, no. Coming soon. Oh, no. 
Well, what do I even say now? Now, now we've had we've had video sources, unsighted video sources. Or I guess I you did decide it. Eagles and icons, yeah. I guess, much music. Um, yeah, well, that obviously changes my perspective on on uh, on that line as well. It doesn't have to, though, right? That's what we're talking about. Well, he yeah. said it too. He's like, he, he, he knew that it was going to be a line <coughs> that people would center on and, and discuss. But again, like I said, to me, it wasn't so, like, it could have been any famous character. Sure. That's well, how that, I took it. That, you know? had, that had thrown their life away, though. In, in Gord's uh, opinion, yeah, in Gord's opinion, yeah, but again, like I didn't... so he could have picked anybody, but he 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 picked that particular. Well, person. probably because it was topical at the time. That's right. Yeah, but I didn't take it as because they threw their life away or the suicide no, angle or anything I didn't at, at all. I just took it as like, look at here's a big character that we all know that we probably were like, this guy's got it all. Yeah, and then you know, but I wonder what he's up to now. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, to sort of relate it back to the points you're making, like, you know, to have that lifestyle of a Kurt Cobain, this is definitely very much out of sync with the concept of don't wake daddy. If it is from a spiritual mm -hmm, mm -hmm. angle, uh, then that's very much waking daddy is, is uh, doing excessive amounts of drugs. Heroin. <laughs> so heroin well, specifically. I don't know. I mean, uh, like we should we should talk about it in reference to the way that God is talked about in Coconut Cream, where He says, "All us good Christians in a circle jerk until our daddies get home from or until our daddy gets home from work." So the idea that we'll just take like refuge in you know pleasures of the body and sensory. Um, you know rewards but uh, if i could just interrupt that's a different that's that is different in that that is the western concept of god where you have this god that comes home and to spank you because you've been when bad you, when and you, you die, feel when you guilt yeah. for right you know masturbation you have masturbation guilt because there is a god who you know knows you're masturbating that's right it's a little and way you have different this, you have this flimsy i got stung by a hornet defense <laughs> and he's seeing right through that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. sorry. So I just I I interrupted you. I'm, I apologize, but um, Canadian that, podcast, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to Canada. Yeah, Brad. yeah, it's lovely. Good to have you. But I see that as two different references to an all like a powerful force, like a god. So you think you know, that there's a dichotomy there? There's like, there's a god who makes you feel guilt, uh, who wants you to appease. Well, what I was what I was going to get around to is, is is I was going to say, and once again, I'm ever so sorry uh, for interrupting <laughs> you, but but the no the 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 idea that uh, this is a a sort of a, a Buddhist way of uh, of looking at things, and um, you know, there's only so much good and evil, and they always balance out, and you're you're to strive to feel balance inside yourself, and and all these sorts of things. I don't necessarily. Feel that from from these lyrics. That's fair. Yeah. From Don't I, Wake that's Daddy. Fair. I I, yeah. I I feel like he's talking about the God of West of the Western world. Mm -hmm. Okay. Who's spiteful and uses things like asteroids and smite. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and trapping you in the form of a dog. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like it, it, I I I just don't see it as such a, 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 a enlightening, empowering sort of message. I I sort of feel like. Um, there's a, we live our life under a piano tied to a rope and everything that you can do is all well and good 
until you realize that that, pi that piano is still there. Mm -hmm. and, and there's nothing you can do about it. Like sort of Damocles kind of thing? Yes. Yeah. So, so like the, the idea that... Um, to, to me, what it feels like is that because you could be smoten at the whim of, of, of something higher than yourself means that everything else you do is really inconsequential. And it shows God as an uncaring figure who doesn't tend to his kids yeah. or, or, or parent them at all. You just he, best not wake him. Yeah. He just Draw put, his ire. Yeah, yeah, he just puts you in the room and you best not provoke him. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't feel like a very caring message to me. And no, I, and I, you've I, changed my whole perspective. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just the last guy. Who, I'm just the last person to have talked. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Is, is, is what that is. But, but here's the thing: he can kind of be talking about both at the same time. Absolutely, right? sure. So, like you said, there's room for everyone's interpretation. You know, um, but but I've just found Gord to be a really cynical figure. Like he's mm -hmm. he's um, yeah. Like I I, I don't I, he's he's quite bleak in he a has that side to him for sure be, but yeah. i think that this yeah. is like uh i i don't care to speculate as as to you know right. what what is this could be around like the birth of his children i think this is a little bit of an enlightened gourd coming at you i think the moodiness of day for night i think they're getting away from that a little bit with this album but i mean i i think that he's he is legitimately talking about both ways of thinking and that is the beauty of a lot of these songs mm -hmm. is that he's able to fit that dichotomy in there so absolutely absolutely i um yeah i i love the stuff you avoid with the asteroid line you know just because you know there is sort of an empty part of uh every person's life and that that empty part is purpose mm -hmm. um and you know what you choose to uh, have be your purpose and what you hope to find when you look for purpose and all those sorts of things. I thought um, it was roast beef sandwiches, but uh, maybe I'm doing sandwiches. it wrong. <laughs> I've been an Arby's guy. But, but anyway, we'll, I, I, I don't, I, I'm just going to work myself in circles. I'm going to, I'm mm. going to spin the tires until I can't get out. So. I think it's good that we brought up both points though, because like I said, I feel like when I first first listened to the song like just my first impressions of it when I was going to sit down and start writing something about this was more to what you were saying you, you know yeah. like don't wake daddy this is the god that's going to spank you but then after kind of going digesting gift shop and like listening to the album a couple times yeah I started to see this other way and so it's cool that we sort of independently came to these different things. We've never spoken about religion or or the idea of God as much throughout the other albums, and I don't think it's because we were afraid to broach it. It's just that this album, he's done some thinking about higher power. It seems that way, yeah. 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 Absolutely. All right, moving on. Here we go. So uh, I believe that uh, Flamenco's up next. Okay, so I'm doing flamenco, and in order to really grasp the song, we need to understand what uh, the flamenco is. Uh, it means a few different things. I know it's a guitar style and, and uh, this, but I, this song is referring it to as the uh, Spanish dance, the flamenco. Um, it's an emotionally intense dance uh, where the dancer has a, a proud carriage 
expressive use of arms, uh, and there's foot stamping in the dance. Um, often done solo, I believe that in this case, uh, flamenco is being used as a metaphor for self-involvement uh, or as a showy facade of strength. Um, we'll come to the opening lines in a moment, uh, but the uh, first verses um, talk uh, like a uh, dance instructor. They're instructions for the dance. Walk like a matador, don't be chicken shit, and turn breezes into rivulets. Flamenco, sweep the air and weave the sun and stamp your feet for everyone. Um, the next set of uh, lines that is after the uh, chorus, the fluctuating chorus, um, is, I believe, uh, a, a man in a, a relationship with this flamenco dancer or a metaphorical flamenco dancer. And he's saying, maybe a prostitute could teach you how to take a compliment. In other words, have some humility. This is embarrassing. Um, that's how I read that anyway. I, I like, I imagine this person, this flamenco dancer being complimented with their chest puffed up to the world like, ooh, like a peacock, so to speak. Um, whereas how a, a humble professional sex worker might take a compliment with <laughs> a little bit more in stride and with, with humility. Um, this is a, a, you know, Gord has talked about the prose before. Uh, <laughs> you, don't, you don't mean prose as in writing. You mean... Uh, he talks about that too. The, the, uh, yes. <laughs> right. uh, and, um, you know, he, he really kind of admirably frames uh, the professional sex worker in Grace too, And I think he's, again, paying them compliment with this line. Um, so anyway, moving on with, it's a very short song, but he, he goes on to say, maybe I'll go to New York, I'll drag you there, and you said no one drags me anywhere, which is kind of reflective of the pride and the, the kind of wanting to, uh, you know, not be assuaged one way or the other. You or she is the kind of the strength or the acting strength here. Um, I believe that the, the first lines in the song, when, when Gord writes, uh, he sings, does it diminish your super capacity to love? And he repeats that. I believe that that's in reference to this act. Does this act diminish your capacity to love? Because it's not really real here. It's, it's not getting like a real feel from this. It's all very uh, pomp and circumstance. Um, and then he alters the chorus the next time to say, does it exhibit your natural tendency to hate? Does this pride that you're exhibiting um, kind of shed a light on your natural tendency towards hate? Um, so I, this is just kind of like a back and forth. Um, I'm not sure if it's, you'd say it's a, a skirmish or a lover lover's quarrel I think it's just an interesting interaction or even realization on uh, one part 
to uh, the other person involved. Um, I love the line, maybe a prostitute could teach you how to take a compliment. Um, I love the instructional flamenco dancing lines. I think that's those are fantastic lines. I've, I've wrestled with the line uh, and turn breezes into rivulets. Um, not sure if he's talking about sweat, the rivulets of sweat, and you, you're like, as a as the flamenco dancer, you're making people essentially nervous at your presence, almost like it's an intimidating thing. Um, yeah, I just don't know, but it's it it sings great in the song. It definitely has a subdued tone to it, and from a musical standpoint, uh, from its melody is very. Um, it's both basic, it's soft, um, and but I, I find it a pleasurable listen, and even though this isn't like the, the most depth you're going to find from a, a Gord song, I think it's, it's, uh, it's got some powerful lines in there, so, yeah. Yeah, um, I, it's, I'm, I enjoyed your take on it, Steve, because, the one, two things that I had written about this song, just in thinking about it, is I was, was a big question is what is it? What is it that's diminishing your super capacity to love? Or what is it that's exhibiting your tendency to hate? And I was just like, I just didn't know. I wasn't sure what to think about that. But I think you've shined some light on it. And especially this, you had this idea that the, the pomp that comes with this flamenco dancer, this character or whatever, is actually exhibiting your tendency for hate. And it makes me think a little bit just about the quote that you brought up of this antagonistic stance between performer and audience. Mm. And maybe that, you know, this is just, I was just writing this down as you were talking, because I don't know, maybe it's... Literally maybe thought, there's thoughts happen in real time. In my head. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know, but... Cite your, it's, I'm your sources, man. I'm quite shocked <laughs> And stamp your feet for everyone. That's a, that's a, that gives you the image of children throwing a tantrum as yeah. well, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's part of the dance. Stamp your feet up the up the stairs and slam the door, right? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I you know how you'd said um, does it diminish your super capacity to love and does it exhibit your natural tendency to hate? I think what we're what we're talking about is compromise in a relationship. Um, and not the act that this uh, performer engages in. So, like, um, the flamenco is supposed to be a dance of love, right? And and the people that do seduction. it... Seduction. Yeah, seduction, right, exactly. So that's the super capacity to love. You're a trained, absolute, you know, uh, love machine. And, yeah. and, and, and sort of what you're doing is you're demonstrating the ideals of passion mm -hmm. in your work. Uh, so, Which then sounds like a prostitute as well. Right, exactly, a little bit, yeah. And, and, and then, you know, because that person has some of the same uh, criteria, job yeah. criteria. But um, so, so what, if, what, if it's, what if we sort of flip it? Like what if it's um, compromising with me? Uh, does that diminish you in your super capacity ro role as... as, as as powerful demonstrative lover hmm. if you if you go to new york with me because otherwise we're going to break up so mm -hmm. like would it would it 
or your like fierce independence. Yeah, would it would it take away from from your uh, performance? And would you be able to be this? Is the reason why you can't come with me or you can't compromise at all in our relationship? Is that because it would affect your work? Is mm. that really what we're talking about? And then th then later on, when he says, "Does it exhibit your natural tendency to hate?" He's saying. Maybe if you don't compromise and you won't work with me, doesn't this show you or expose you as a sort of a petty, hateful person? Mm. You know, a hater, a hater, mm. right? consumed. Yeah, um, with the dance, with the passion dance. of the dance. What yeah. do you love? Is it me or the dance? Mm. Right. Mm. But right. only a fool wouldn't want to go to New York to wow. flamenco. Right. <laughs> you get on Regis, right. right? You know? Yeah, absolutely. I think actually, Regis is uh, dead. Are you gonna say dead? <laughs> I'm sorry to the Regis family. Well, no, I was. I, oh, I, not dead. No, I was gonna say that. Apology cancelled. I was. I was gonna say, uh, licking his face out there somewhere, but. but <laughs> was it heroin? Yeah, oh. it probably Regis. Oh. Yeah. No, but uh, uh, I I did I describe I, I kind of crapped on the song at the beginning as a little bit of a flyover song, but there's a lot of substance there. Once again, you know, you scratch the surface, you flip the stones, and there's all sorts of things underneath. And the I'll say that this this one is a real standout on the album for me. This is one of my favorite songs. Mm -hmm. And when I said that there's a couple songs on this album that could be. Uh, favorite hip songs. This is one of them, Springtime in Vienna being the other, which we won't explicitly cover. But I think I want to mention too that this line that we've mentioned a few times, maybe a prostitute could teach you how to take a compliment, mm -hmm. I think also spawned one of the greatest lines about a line from the uh, long time running documentaries, that was called, yeah, the, the yeah, one they is, just yeah. did about the final tour where they're interviewing Kevin Drew, I believe, the guy from Broken Social Scene, who also worked with Gord as a producer. Oh, yeah. And he's talking about how at this, at some point in their career, he was kind of like, oh, are the hip done? Are they, you know, or will they keep going? <laughs> and he comes across this line of maybe a prostitute could teach you how to take a compliment. And his response to it is, well, old man, you got some, you still got some smoke in your bag, old man. <laughs> in, in terms of reverence for that line. So I just, I thought that was a great little anecdote that I had. I, I remember we were running around saying that to each other at your bachelor party. Yes, yeah, yeah. You still got some smoke in, in your, your bag, bag, old man. man. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely remember that. That's, yeah, that's, that's great. And, and uh, the last, the last thing I, I, I guess I just wanted to, to throw in there is um, if he is in, if he is sort of enduring some sort of performance fatigue where he has a routine and people expect something from him when they pay to see him sing, um, this would certainly be an example of railing against that mm -hmm. and also espousing the virtue of a more subdued tone. For right? sure, for yeah. sure, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so that's, uh, that's for me, that's a highly listenable song. Mm -hmm. Um, moving right along, I've got the next track too in our list. Uh, Sherpa. Me and the vivid girl in our hammock to the stars, staring into the fire before TV, the remote controls on Mars. I think that we're, that Gord's alluding a lot to kind of like a, a 
dream world in this album. I think it really manifests itself in this song. It's a highly, like, I believe you used the word ethereal? Or is that you, John? I did. I, don't know. I did. Well, great word. Cite your source. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Brad <laughs> Van Paradon said that. Um, it's kind of like a, yeah, it's definitely kind of a dreamy, it's like a trip. This song is a bit of a trip mm -hmm. to go down. And like, um, I'm not saying for sure it's a, a psilocybin situation. I'm not saying that for sure. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I can imagine that it might be. Um, anyway, so <laughs> he, he's with the girl. He's with the vivid girl. Um, I think this is li literally a dream that he's talking about. Um, but everything's just so chill. Everything's so relaxed in this song. Uh, I'll go on to the next verse, which is uh, so they're on the hammock to the stars, and uh, they spoke languidly of the northern bee and collecting dewdrops for tea underneath the cannonball tree. So, I mean, they're underneath a tree, a giant deciduous tree, an Asian tree. I didn't do any research on that, I just knew. Maybe a coconut cream tree. <laughs> cannonball yeah. coconut yeah. dream tree yeah, could be um, no it produces a berry oh yeah so oh. Uh, it's a real tree here we're talking a real about real tree. tree yeah it's a real tree sorry um, and of course uh, and it's found in in where the areas you might find uh, a Sherpa to be so um, of course those are in uh, oh my the God. Himalayas. The Himalayas, Tibet, Nepal, yes. Nepal, um, and parts of China. Yeah, absolutely. Good research, Brad. Uh, <laughs> and so it's uh, like the, I, I haven't really tied the title very well into the into the my meaning for the song or to the meaning that I got from the song, um, but I'll just progress with the verses. Um, we were high, we were Sherpa high, because Sherpas, they go high. I don't know if you know, you guys know what Sherpas they do. They get high. They get high, they, they go high. Yeah. yeah. They get high and they go. Um, so he's with, again, he's with the vivid girl, conspired against old friends. We said we must be friends or die, and we've died a thousand times since then. So you just imagine these two that are just in this scene, this relaxed scene, and they're talking about, you know, the, the mishappenings of, or misdeeds of old friends. And uh, I love the line, we said we must be friends or die, and we've died a thousand times since then. It's really illustrative of the dreamy nature of this song. Um, so they stay under the tree. Um, and then it, finally we wrap up the song. It says we're at the point where we love or hate it write it down and obliterate it when we're at the point when we neither love nor hate it we can live we can lay down and obliterate and I, I think they're talking about the dream at this point where it's like um, you know it's warm worn off it's time to wake up uh, there's kind of again the dichotomy of like real world versus kind of enlightenment Mm -hmm. kind of thing and I mean we, t we talked a lot about uh, Buddhism or, or that type of religion or spirituality I think it should be noted that obviously this is kind of like 
the Sherpa, it's the, they're, we're talking about the birthplace of that way of thinking. Uh, so Buddhism, far as I know, yeah, I'm, not, yeah, I'm no expert, but I mean, <clears throat> that's the way it seems to me is that, uh, you know, you can live your life uh, in the kind of like an enlightened way. You're always going to kind of wake up from that and, and have to deal with the actualness of life. Uh, problems or day-to-day, you know, monotony, routine, this kind of thing. But I think that this song does a good job of kind of illustrating that kind of like zen, dreamlike place that you can go to, meditative, whatever you want to call it. So I love the song. I love the melody of the song. I love the, uh, how the guitar comes in. It's, I mean, and uh, Bobby Baker's, uh, guitar that he does at first is very like reflective of the the uh, dreamlike kind of thing, kind of like Gift Shop actually, mm-hmm. um, but super cool. I think he really captured the mood of that song with just a very simple layer over top uh, throughout the song. So yeah, go ahead. I don't know what you guys think. I I, I just wanted. So I don't have a whole lot. I like your covering, but just to jump on what you were talking about the musically, I like how this one, like the sort of the pauses or like the chord hits of the, of the melody of the guitar mm. go really well with the lyrics. Yes. Like it really accentuates mm. the lyrics. Like they're kind of filling the spaces for each other. And yeah. it's got this kind of riff that sort of, or, you know, progression that kind of goes throughout the whole thing and kind of yeah. has these little choppy sort of hits. Yeah. At well, the we end. get a little bit of tension in this song, which, you know, songs are music's all about tension and release. And mm. this, this album has been really devoid of tension mm-hmm. on the whole. And yeah, we get a little bit of build uh, towards the end of, of, of that song, yeah. I really feel like, just to jump on both of your points, that this is a piece of poetry that Gord brought to the table. And they said, yeah, we can we can write music for that, for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. We'll song uh, around it. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, he probably, I'm, I'm su- it sounds like he had the melody mm-hmm. ready to go. And then I, I'll, I'll just something that stood out to me when you were uh, pointing out the last lines, we can write it down and then obliterate it. This, I believe that's the line. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, right off the top of my head here, just thinking on the fly. Rain falls in real time. That's right. Um, it It's cathartic. It, it makes me think of this Absolutely. cathartic thing that yeah. we were talking about earlier. Where, where, it's where like, you get it out. You can write it out and then you yeah. can obliterate it. And once right. you've put it on paper, then it becomes this, real thing i think it's even a technique in therapy yeah where it's like you write something out and then you can destroy that and then it's, it's did a you release. just make up that therapy right now <laughs> yeah no <laughs> <laughs> so. um one, one thing I, I i just again things they pop off as as you talk i'm thinking it's crazy um i'm but thinking the, i'm hearing i'm feeling yeah but, but you know the vivid girl is not being a, a you know being a figment right um you know, what if what if she's the guide and this is the way he works out some of the animosity in his daily life, you know? And the idea to... By guide, you mean like spiritual guide or something like that? Yeah, the Sherpa. Somebody yeah. that takes you up the mountain. Right, right, right. right. And, help, nice. and helps yeah, you along, good. you know? And then the other the other thing I was just going to say too is uh, this goes back to what we were, we were talking about earlier with compromise, right? Where you're in a relationship with compromise we conspired against old friends me and my you know my guide or whatever we talked about how we'd been wronged and things like that you know and then we said we must be friends or die so again it's like 
we're either going to we're either going to continue on, you're going to move to New York with me, mm. or it's all over, mm. you know. But really the way it works with most relationships is you disagree with people and you hold a stance where where you say, you know, we must be friends or die. But then, and we've died a thousand times since then, means that real people, they just compromise and they find a way to be together, yeah. to be close to each other, yeah, yeah. or to square these sorts of disagreements. Right. You know, we died a thousand times since then. It's just the same way that you, you know, you sort of kiss and make up. Mm. Yeah. yeah, makes a lot of sense. Cool, well, great song. Throw it over to uh, Brad for the last song. Mm. Yeah, so here we go. The... Last song uh, that we're going to cover on the podcast and the last song of the album, Put It Off. So right off the bat, this is uh, to me the creepiest, darkest song on the album. It's very brooding, sure. the way that it's, it starts very slow again. This bass line, this theme of the song is being a bass line driven and then the guitars sort of come in uh, at accented points at the top or at certain um, um, lines or verses and then to me, this is, it's, it's all about finding something by exploring the opposite. So finding beauty or goodness or something by delving into the opposite of that thing, the mirror of that thing, in order to see clearly what it is you're looking for. And I mean, the first line of the song, I wrote unfriendly things, truly cruel, on the day that you were born, to prove that words cannot touch beauty, but I was torn. So, you know, it's right there. Uh, second verse, similar similar theme. I made degenerate art for the religious rite on the day that you were born. I had a passion to experiment, but I was torn. So again, this, it's, it's, this is what it is. It's, it's an it's, we've talked of this Buddhist idea a lot, uh, the duality of things, the good versus evil, the yin, the yang, whatever. Um, and that's and this is what it is. I'm, I'm exploring the bad to either show that the bad does not outweigh the good or to truly reflect, you know, a foil, as you will. I think that's the mm -hmm. correct term, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, I mean, that's to me what this, this, this whole song is about, but yet there's this uncertainty about it, like I'm on this search, but I was torn. Should I be delving too deep into these thoughts in order to prove to myself that there is beauty or that you are beautiful? Um, I don't know, maybe I'll go too far down the rabbit hole and find that there isn't. Um, the other really interesting part of this song is just this, this, this line to me of, I made uh, degenerate art for the religious right. Like, what is that even? What is degenerate art for the religious right? Because you would normally think the religious right being the people that are against degenerate things and imagery and things like that. So is it creating again a paradox kind of thing? you know, like a juxtaposition here. You wouldn't think that the religious right would be into degenerate stuff, but I'm exploring the opposites of things. So maybe it's just a clever, um, you know, use of the words or something there. I'm not sure. Um, and, and then the other thing that comes out to me is this, I put it off. He, he does this he, between each, each verse. I put it off, I put it off. So if I'll say, I did this exercise to find beauty, uh, but I was torn. I put it off, I put it off. So what is it that he's putting off? Is he putting off the search? Like, I'll do it later. Like, I went, you know, I don't really want to do this. Um, but then at the end of the song, he starts to say, I put it on. And I think at one point, he kind of goes back and forth. I put it off, and then I put it on. So again, maybe this uncertainty behind the whole exercise. Um, and then 
I've been struggling with this, like, when I was listening to the song and coming up with these ideas, it, I'm going to bring more religion into this, actually. Um, and I'm not sure that my comparison here is totally accurate, but this really started making me think of the book of Job, where Job is the... Um, it's pronounced Job. I'm sorry. <laughs> the book of Job. Job, or Job, is a character who loves God um, and is, you know, one of God's best servants, a uh, shining example of what God would want out of a, out of a, a worshiper or a, or a human being. Uh, and he's, uh, God is displaying Job to the devil, saying, look at how great Job is. These are my people. They love me so much. And the devil says, no, it's only because you've blessed Job, Job with so many uh, riches that he loves you so much. If you were to strip those from him, would he still love you? Um, and so that's what the book of Job is then about, is the devil's, you know, putting Job through all of these torments and him trying to come to grips with that, uh, understand why a God would do this to him. And it's, it's an interesting book of the Bible, actually. Um, Cause I, think, in the, I think the movie Trading Places with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy is actually based on it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so... Uh, and in the end, you know, in the end of the book of Job, the, the conclusion is really not really that satisfying, I think, because it basically has God coming down and being like, you don't even understand what you're, what you're railing against, so just don't even worry about it, bud, because I'm God, and you just got to deal with that, you know? So there's not really even a great resolution to it, but that's basically kind of it. And so that, to me, kind of just the idea of, you know, Again, exploring, you know, the good and worshiping God and the greatness of God by going on a dark path. I guess that's what got me into thinking this, is that there's that opposite there. And by going through the trial or the tribulation or something like that, you come out with some, uh, um, an appreciation or something on the other side. So it, it, it seems like maybe not the right fit, but it's something that I was stewing on uh, when preparing for this, this show. So... I don't know. I'll leave that to you guys then and discuss. Well, I, I, I was I was just going to say degenerate art for the religious right, I think, is probably his idea of the most uh, of, of the biggest, highest level of corruption he could possibly achieve. Mm. You know, the way that he would corrupt his gifts, the way that he would corrupt his profession and his art. You mean like selling out kind of? Yeah, yeah. big yeah. time. Um, you know, and then... And then, as far as it being degenerate, it's 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 degenerate in terms of art. Mm, mm -hmm. Like it's yeah, just different. It's just awful. You know, it obviously Pandering. serves a master. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and things like that. Um, and then, as far the only other thing I was going to say about put it off and put it on again, um, it feels like you know he, he's he's wanting to sort of tap into this dark side, um, but he keeps he keeps sort of like you know he can't quite bring himself to do it like it's something he thinks he needs to do to bring himself uh closer um to fruition as a person but he keeps delaying it and then the put it on is like to fake it i always think you know it's a put on mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. you just sort putting of, on the face you put it on. on as an act and then, yeah, yeah. And those are the, those are the only things that, that sprang to mind there yeah interesting takes uh really enjoy what you said about the song brad i i just have a question of uh did you what do you make of the um line about uh love tara by eric strip i played love tara by eric eric's trip 
um, and how is that? I have no like full disclosure. I've, I don't I don't have any answers here. I just have questions. I don't even know the song. I always, um, I always thought me it was, neither. I, always I was hoping it, it wouldn't come up because <laughs> I didn't do my research and no, listen no. to that song. But. I just I always you know I always misheard that lyric too as I played a love of terror. Yeah. Okay. You know, like 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 as some you know some awful piece of classical music even like bam 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 you know like but here's the thing because that's that's i mean that's a good take because it made you think of bad music and that's what the song is right setting up all the way through sinister music yeah right and and right and this itself is sinister music right from the very onset you can feel it yeah so i'm just wondering what the what what the deal is with that song? I mean, that would have been a contemporary Canadian band. Cordy Love, get back to us <laughs> if you have the answer. <laughs> anyway, I just, that would maybe our uh, listeners can can let us know. If there's any, I'm not a big Eric uh, Trip fan. I know that's like well, a, they toured together. They yeah. have a relationship yeah. as as bands. You know, that's something that's really cool about the hip is they sort of remember the people that they played with. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that uh, the individual members of the band are fans of all kinds of music. Oh, yeah. And and I know that uh, in sort of hearing some uh, interviews or pieces that are written by embedded reporters who tour with the band, they're very much driving around, playing hockey, smoking dope, ripping it up, listening to music, yeah. living the dream. Really, they <laughs> yeah. really, really are. So I'm sure they enjoy a, a wide, wide berth, but they do, as far as mentions, stay really loyal to the people that were close. Just like just like the guitar player from The Odds produced this album. This is probably his first production credit. Yeah. Maybe I'm talking out of my ass there, but you know, maybe he's a seasoned vet, but I don't know. That's not what I think of when I think of The mm. Odds. I think of their quirky kids in the hall video mm-hmm. uh heterosexual man also uh butts wiggling was made for kids in the hall for their That's movie right, as yeah, well for as, brain candy yeah mm-hmm. almost a, yeah. almost a command it, it feels like almost like a command could you write us something yeah mm-hmm. yeah 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 for sure so i mean that, that that's what made me curious about that line because of their their fandom of other canadian especially canadian musicians yes. yeah and whether or not I'm sure it's a shout out. I'm sure yeah. it's like a good thing. They're I'm very sure giving. Like, They're very giving. Yeah. Actually, I have a video quote. Uh, that I'm gonna <laughs> Do you play have right that video quote? Ward says, "I yeah. hate that band." <laughs> was unclear if I should yeah. put this in because yeah. it's a real dig at Eric's trip. No, no. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah. Hey, listen. I'm gonna bring out more video clips, and uh, there's gonna be more passages from the book. So you guys can keep you can keep digging on me for it. Keep railing, but. Absolutely. I just want our le- listeners to know, expect more of that shit. And expect <laughs> it to be well sighted. Nice, nice, absolutely. Well, there's no end in sight, we'll say, if I can do- give my room a play in a moment. Um, guys, uh, this, this album is certainly uh, done deliberately from the band. Uh, teasing out what we talked about, um, just as a way to sort of wrap up the album as a whole... It really seems like the idea that we're going to write these rock songs that have these fucking guitar hooks that make people fucking jam it out is (laughs) over. It's over. It's non-existent on this album. It's completely gone. Mm. It's it's purged completely. And um, I, I wonder how much restraint it probably took for Bobby Baker and Gord Sinclair 
to not play their guitars, you know, because there's a, there's a real absence of guitar on this album. They, they, they do, they do spot duty. They obviously, they contribute to it, but this is not like the opening riff of New Orleans is sinking. Like this mm. is, you know, this is a different, uh, approach mm-hmm. to writing songs. Yep. And there was, there was one thing that, um, I did want to bring up. Um, there, uh, I want to address the prolific and consistent pace at which the band was able to release full-length uh, records. Basically every two years throughout the band's entire run, 14 albums over 29 years. I didn't really think of it like that, like they were working off of clockwork, but oh my God, like that is, that's incredible. Like one of the toughest things to do with your works of art is to pronounce them completed Mm. and release them into the world. Like, I love how they had no fear that there would be more material around every coming corner. So, like, when I offer up some criticism for tracks like Apartment Song, uh, which is a real stinker... Um, I like I, it. I, I, I like it. I do so knowing that the approach of the more work the better is admirable, and they can't all be on the best of record, you, you know. Um, but I'm drawn to what I like, and I, I know... Uh, I know what sort of sticks and what what songs endear themselves to me, and and this this record has a few really important songs and a bunch of really unimportant songs in my estimation. I don't think that's unfair to say. I think that you know this is uh, it's not the one that jumps to mind for m- m- like the diehard hip fans, right? You know, right. Um, and you, maybe th- maybe this is you know we can speculate on why this album is that and we've done that and I will do some more of it based on what you just said if maybe it's having to put out albums every 2 years or maybe they like they were like this is what we're doing or you know this is the groove that we're what what why whatever it made them decide to do that but yeah. maybe this is a point where like hey we're doing something different or we're in a different space but we're still going to put out an album maybe the yeah. song you said some of the th- ideas seem un un finished or something like that but i think you, there's a there's an obvious themes that have come through this whole album which i think is really interesting right because i don't know that we've seen that so much before well where are all the verses this is a gord downing record this would be like putting on a bob dylan record and instead of you get seven verses and all the songs are five and a half six minutes long everything is like a tight like they made some really deliberate choices on this record. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be interesting when uh, when we all reconvene for Phantom Power and we look at uh, we look at where they went in another two years. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be two years later. they got to release a record, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the band just continues to show their the level of introspection uh, coming from Gord. It may even border on neurotic at times. Mm-hmm. Just how much he's thinking about what they're putting out and like you said, he's they're they're producing at a fantastic pace, but uh, I think there's always there's like you know there's little retreats and little kind of attacks in mm-hmm. his music a lot where he's just like I don't want to do that anymore, and the band they're they're good soldiers like you, we don't yeah. know exactly yes. how uh, they, the guitar players right yeah. now you know doing for doing sure yes yeah yeah, yeah. so. Um, I think it's great. I think there's a couple other notable songs. I'm not going to get into it, but just to list, I think uh, Springtime in Vienna, we were going to cover mm-hmm. that today. Well, but uh, Gord's favorite song, right? Yeah, hey? yeah. That's, a, that's a phenomenal song. Could be song. my favorite hip song. But, Could be. Really? Wow. And you didn't do it. No. 
Okay, then. So there was no um, important song. Yeah. Because I thought you were going to do it. <laughs> oh, well, not uh, to get too inside I don't mean baseball to peel here. back the curtain, but yeah. we do a draft for songs, and I don't, th- I like snake draft. I didn't take <laughs> springtime a... in Vienna first. It's true. Oh, guys, so let's not it shake was the cannonball there. tree yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, I think uh, that and a uh, seven hundred foot ceiling is also uh, a good song. Definitely, kind of, almost feels like it could be on day for night, but I, it. Yeah. I think it works. It's part hard, uh, hard to remember. Hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I think the album's good. Um, like great songs on it. Definitely some forgettable moments, but that's that's part of being a band and, and making that that much music at the mm-hmm. end of the day. And like, a band that does what they want to do. Yeah, like they for never, sure. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, the 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 final touch, uh, you guys. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be really great to flip the phantom power switch. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, so hold well, on though. I was think I was ex- not expecting though, Brad, but maybe thinking that you were going to proclaim this as the best. As I the was best. Wait- I was waiting for that. I'm the last ball. one. I'm the last, waiting, one. last one. I was waiting for that. Can, can we ball. can we redouble our? So I'm Road Apples. Uh, I'm Day for Night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I am to be determined. Tr- yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. to okay, be determined. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, the way you were just talking about it would just it would make it would no be sense very odd. You <laughs> said, this is the best. Um, so anyway, I guess we'll we'll wait. I'm waiting with bated breath. All right. Well, Sounds we'll good. find out in coming episodes. Great to be here in the room. Incoming with you guys. episodes or episode. I I said what I you said. You gonna tip your hand here? I'm not gonna tip my hand. Well, guess what? He loves all his kids. I am not going to pull that card. I will say that I'm not going to pull that card and be like, I like them all. No. Well, stay tuned. I'm sure you guys are riveted or rivuleted or however it goes. We're going to flip the switch for Phantom Power. Thanks, guys, for listening. This has been Cast of the Unplugged Gems.